The last two months have been stomach-churning for participants in the thrift savings plan, and not just the stock market. Many have voiced frustrations over the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board when it launched a new online platform June 1st. What a mess! Now the board has made some progress at fixing it, especially that customer service center. But the board says it's still not back to normal. Here with the latest, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Drew, they met the other day, and uh, there's some good news here? That's right, Tom. There is some good news. 1.1 million accounts have successfully been set up in this new online platform. So that means a lot of participants have been able to log in successfully. That was a huge problem at the beginning. Now that's a lot more reduced There's also been a reduction by 77% in call wait times at Thriftline. That's something that was a huge issue starting in early June. We saw wait times an average of two hours, sometimes five, six hours just on hold. A lot of calls dropped. Now it's down to about 15, 20 minutes on average. Sure. In five or six hours, the stock market can go move 500 points these days. That's right. It did cause a lot of concern for participants in the beginning there, but that's something that they're working through. The main way that they tried to resolve it was by just adding more staff at the call center. But, you know, just notably, they had an average of 34,000 calls per day in June 2022, and that's compared with 9,000 per day at the same time last year. So it's it's just been a huge influx um, of calls and something that has been kind of a long time to resolve. And it's still not quite back to normal. What about the remaining pain points? What's bothering participants these days? The call center staff, that is still a huge problem with people just not being able to reach representatives, although it has resolved significantly. It's not fully back to normal, as I said. Another kind of bigger issue for participants is they're saying that they're seeing a lot of missing information still in their accounts. So things like financial history, beneficiary designations, those are ongoing issues that the board is still trying to resolve. Some of that was intentional on the board's part, just with the data not being able to transfer automatically. And so they're asking participants who might not be able to see their beneficiary designation in their account to either call or just update that information online. We've also seen a lot of participants just saying that they are unhappy with the system in general, the layout of the platform. It's, they are saying it's kind of clunky. It's hard to find the tools that they were originally able to find more easily. So there is still some ongoing frustrations there. All right. So people say their investment cheese has been moved, you might say. So what is the board planning to do? How is it prioritizing the fixes that it has in mind? Call center representatives, that is the main way that they are trying to resolve the issues with Thriftline, which is the name of TSP's call center. They added about 500 representatives in June and another 500 this month. They're planning to add more by the end of the month. However, that's that doesn't necessarily mean there's a thousand new representatives at the call center because staff attrition is a huge part of the problem, too. At Thriftline, generally 20 to 30 percent attrition is normal for a call center, and that is what TSP is seeing here as well. So a lot of people are leaving, even though they're trying to bring more staff in. So they're adding, trying to add more by the end of the month to try to stop gap or, you know, make sure that there's more people coming in than leaving. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Sounds like they have a timeline, though, a set of deadlines for themselves, the board. That's right. So things have settled a bit and they're hoping that uh, they'll continue to settle even more to get back to normal. T. Ramos, the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board's Director of Participant Services, gave a pretty quick turnaround for when he expects things to resolve and come back to normal, at least for the call center. 
optimistically we're going to be to some degree of normalcy from a call center perspective in mid-August, I believe, no later than late August. All of our numbers, our abandonment rate numbers are coming close to normal. We're seeing these new numbers over the course of the last week or so. Before I give you a, a real competent report, I want to be able to say they have sustainably been able to maintain call center operations where we need them. They've made the changes that reduced all of that. Now I'm looking in this next month to see that those changes are sustainable. I, I believe that they are. I believe the changes that they made are, are good changes and, and they're sustainable. Before I would confidently tell you that we're over the hump, I need to see some time in there to make sure that we're able to do that. And again, that is T. Ramos, FRTIB's Director of Participant Services. And maybe one reason they're so urgent about this, besides that they want to get it fixed, is Congress has kind of been chasing them and hounding them also, hasn't it? That's right, Tom. We've seen, especially from D.C. Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, she's been very vocal on this issue. It's something she's followed for at least several weeks, if not more than a month at this point. And she's now, along with Virginia Representative Abigail Spanberger, requesting that the Government Accountability Office conduct a comprehensive examination of TSP's new online system. So that's looking at, you know, the planning process for this, the rollout of it, and how they're continuing to try to resolve some of those issues. Also on that letter to GAO was Jerry Connolly, Jamie Raskin, Don Beyer, and Jennifer Wexton. So there are a lot of representatives who are trying to look into this. They say that their offices hear very often from constituents who are TSP participants. And at the TSP board meeting, Kim Weaver, who's the director of external affairs for the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board, gave her take on how likely an investigation by GAO might be for this. GAO doesn't always do those sorts of things. They get lots of letters requesting investigations. However, given the number of Congress people on the, the letter and the high profile nature of this, it wouldn't surprise me if GAO does in fact respond and come and take a look. Well, at least GAO is friendly when they take a look. They might be hard as heck on you, but they do it in a polite manner. Anything else we can expect from the board coming up, Drew? So at June's board meeting, board member Dana Bilyeu did ask potentially about having the vendor attend a future meeting to talk about lessons learned and thinking about you know, how to kind of fix some of these problems, what were some of the major pain points. And they've announced now that that report is scheduled for August's board meeting. So we'll see what the vendor has to say coming up next month. And that vendor is? Accenture. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. And be sure to check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? you no, know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. 
but I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old and uh, I remember I really wanted to play little league baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might've had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do Admit it, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So 
I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called Labor and Employee Relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of the Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. It's in our nature. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.